Imperial battleship, halt the flow of time. I cannot swim, you Spanish peacock. I'm not Spanish, I'm Egyptian. You five-star, double-rated astronavigatrix. Uh, 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 what? Space, herpy. Give me the remote control. What happens, General? That sounds like a woman. Impossible! Welcome, listener, to Star Crashed. In this podcast, we discuss genre movies released before the year 2000. In this episode, two romance movies from the 80s will battle for the crown of uh, most cheesy romance flick from the 80s. <laughs> I just made that up, so if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll figure it out later and see what they'll actually win. But um, yeah, so we have in the one corner, we have A Hazard of Hearts from 1987. And in the other corner, we have The Lady and the Highwayman from 1989. My name is Ebba. And my name is Linnea. So, as usual, we will get into spoiler territory pretty quickly. And because this is kind of a versus thing we're doing, we can't really say whether or not we recommend one movie or the other or both. So listening to this is uh, completely up to you if you want to be spoiled or not. Let's just say that. So, Linnea, why don't you hit us up with some synopsis of A Hazard of Hearts from 1987. Okay, so uh, out of the two films, this is, uh, I think, the most uh, straightforward. Um, I mean, it does have some some convoluted intrigue, but uh, it is uh, pretty much uh, easy to understand. And the basic premise of A Hazard of Hearts is that we are introduced to a group of noblemen gambling with each other, and Sir Giles Staverly loses pretty much everything he owns. Uh, and in a desperate attempt to win back, he wages his daughter's hand in marriage. And he loses again. Uh, and he has lost to Lord Rutham, who is quite obsessed with the young lady in question and is not a very nice man. Another man in the gathering, Lord Justin Vulcan, sees this and uh, wages to save the girl from Lord Rutham. And uh, he does but not before Sir Staveley has committed suicide, unfortunately. Uh, Lord Justin has no interest in marrying the young Serena Staveley, uh, who is played by none other than Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, but he does take on the role as sort of a guardian for her, as she is now an orphan, uh, and he takes her to live with his mother. His mother, played by Diana Rigg, has quite a few gambling problems of her own. Mm -hmm. uh, and she also runs an illegal smuggling business. Um, and she definitely does not like Serena or the attentions that her son pays to the young girl. So Lady Vulcan and um, Lord Rufham makes plans together to get Serena away from Lord Justin. Uh, intrigue happen. Uh, in the end, both Lady Vulcan and Lord Rufham dies, and Justin and Serena marry the end. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I skipped over a few details there, but uh, that's pretty much well, the basic. Premise. inconsequential details, one, my, one might say, you know. <laughs> But yeah, good synopsis there. Uh, not a not a very complicated movie, like you say. And um, a lot of big names, though. Like Helena Bonham Carter and Diana Rigg aren't like 
obscure in any way, I'd say. Uh, if you don't know who the two are, I, I'm quite sure you've seen Helena Bonham Carter in any of the, uh, what's he called? You know, the Tim direct- Burton. Yeah, Tim Burton. Mm. And I'm also sure that you've seen Diana Rigg as Olena Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Well, I, I, have a, I haven't seen her in, in Game of Thrones because I haven't watched Game of Thrones. But for those who has, I, I believe they would recognize her. Yes, I'm sure. And both her and uh, Helena Bonham Carter does an excellent job, I think, in A Hazard of Hearts. I think they are the reason why you should watch it if you ever feel inclined to do so. Um, yes. They are perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I loved watching Diana Rigg as this kind of evil uh, stepmom or whatever it's called. Um, mm-hmm. She's doing an excellent job with it, yeah, looking really yeah. like vicious and scheming and just having fun with it really and also her costumes are kind of great and they're very colorful and dark in contrast to uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character is very like virginal and pure and mm-hmm. you know fair colors on her which is kind of tropey actually if you look to costume um, flicks uh, in general you'll see that the evil <laughs> characters are <laughs> more often wearing the dark colors and uh, more, well, more, I believe... more often than not, yeah. the good, co- the good <laughs> costumes as well, you know. The, the... Um, I do believe, and I'm not a historian here, so don't quote me on this, mm. but based on what I've learned from like reading Regency romances, uh, I do believe that it was like a thing that unmarried women should wear like white or, or li- light colors, while married women could wear the darker colors, so that might be why. But uh, yeah, it, 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 it I is can't quite comment common. on that. It's actually the first time I've ever heard it, so I have no idea. Maybe. No, I, I don't know if it's right, but I, uh, that, yeah. that's the impression that I've gotten anyway, that that's sure. the case. But, mm. but yeah, I mean, it is, it is a trope to sort of dress the, the evil woman in, in black or red or something like that. So yeah. But yeah, Helena Bonham Carter is also like great i mean she's doing this uh, character like just the way you would expect her to and she kind of reminds me i don't know if you've seen uh, a room with a view ever no no i haven't no. Uh, which is a much better and way prettier <laughs> romance movie <laughs> set in a different time period if you mm-hmm. ever in the mood for that <laughs> But you, you can kind of see why she was cast for that movie, I think, a few years later on. Uh, she's kind of being the same. Like, you know, like Helena, Helena Bonham Carter, you like, where she's very, I don't know how to put it, but um, she can be a bit innocent, but at the same time, you kind of don't want to mess with her in a way. Yeah, yeah. You know I, what I I'm felt, getting at? Yes, I definitely felt that her character, Serena, in A Hazard of Hearts, you know, she she was able to stand up for herself and yeah. uh, had a little bit of a backbone, unless mm-hmm, sure. un- un- unlike the character in Lady of the Highwayman, which we will get to later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the uh, brooding, emotionally cold man that's also the love interest? Lord Justin Vulcan. Yes. Well, he's... Uh, I think quite inspired by a Mr. Darcy. Um, at -hmm. least, uh, I don't know. I believe this is based on a book. I haven't read the book, but definitely the actor's portrayal in the film felt very inspired by portrayals of Mr. Darcy. So, um, I mean, I do like Pride and Prejudice, so it was, it was a little nice to get that vibe, but Mm. I don't know, not a lot of chemistry necessarily going on between him and Serena, so eh. yeah, it, it, it was both good and bad, I think. 
And I think we can kind of get into like why these two, why we chose to even watch these two movies (laughs) at the same time and doing a versus with them. And it's because both of these movies are like Barbara Cartland movies. Now you might think, who's Barbara Cartland? Well, she's only like one of the most best-selling romance novels authors in the 20th century, basically. Mm. She wrote about like 723 books, I think. Wow. wow and she was in at one time uh, in Guinness World Records for writing like or releasing the most uh, books that like that year. So wow. as an author. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> she wrote a lot of books and I have actually like listened to one of those mm. um, just because like when I figured out who she was, then I was like, well, I'll listen to one of those. My library had it and they had a ton of those. So I was like, who is this woman? And, you know, what is this? And I can kind of tell that she has a formula of writing. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe there's a theme or something. And then she just like pretty much like copy paste Mm -hmm. uh, the same sort of. I mean, I'm basing this off like three experiences with her story plot um, thing, but I mean, I can kind of tell her thing right now, and I've mm-hmm. been experiencing but everything. I, I, her, I, so. I, I haven't read any Barbara Cartland, but I have read a lot of other uh, Regency romance novels, and I kind of feel it's the same with all of yeah. them, to be yeah. honest. I watched A Hazard of Hearts, and I definitely thought it was uh, inspired by, uh, you know, Pride and Prejudice, but I also felt there were a lot of like standard beats for just mm-hmm. Regency romance. Like there were a lot of things where I was like, I think I've read the same story in in a random Harlequin Regency romance. You know, the whole smuggling plot. I was like, I've seen that several times before. <laughs> so Yeah, it's not very unique in that way. <laughs> but I will say it was written in 1949. So mm-hmm. at least it was kind of early that way. I don't really yes. know. I'm guessing that the romance genre as a whole has been kind there's a formula already at play by then, I think. So Yeah, um, based on... I, I took a course in Romance Lit uh, on university a few years back, and based on what I remember from that one, uh, like, historical romance... Not, not... Like, Jane Austen technically wrote what we would call historical romance today, but she wrote it in, like, the present... She wrote about her present time. Yeah. And the the genre of writing for us, historical setting for romance novels, uh, pretty much started with Georgette Heyer in, like, I think, 20s and 30s, 1920s, mm. 1930s. Um, so Barbara Cartland was early, but she wasn't the first. Like, it was beginning to be a genre at that point, but it wasn't mm. the big boom of historical romance hadn't quite happened yet. Yeah, I, her career, in the beginning, she didn't write historical romance uh, novels as far as I can tell mm-hmm. and A Hazard of Hearts was her first ah, mm. and she was later well maybe not later like a year later accused of plagiarism by a oh. different romance novel author ah. <laughs> called Georgia Heyer Heyer yeah that, that was the one I just mentioned oh what's <laughs> We're pronouncing it differently, so I guess I didn't really. Oh, higher, 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 higher. Oh, well, whatever. G H. Yeah, I don't remember how I pronounce it. But higher. Yeah. Higher. So, anyways, okay, like, and um, a reader like drew attention and like, hmm, this kind of reminds me of something. And here, then, like, read the Cartland's book and was like, well, this is like names and characters and everything is like 
almost point for point the same. But like the case never went to court or anything, so I don't really know how much you want to put into how much stock you want to put into that really. But it's kind of interesting, like, I kind of feel like these sort of books, maybe they were a bit similar. I mean, they can be a bit similar now and like looking back as well. But like then, back then, maybe you weren't used to them being kind of copy pasty. So, I mean, the thing never went to court, but it's kind of interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that some of the standard tropes we see in historical romance today hasn't hadn't quite been established at that point, so... Let's dissect the movie for a bit. <laughs> what did you What did you like? What did you enjoy? We've talked about Helena Bonham Carter and Diana Rigg. They're the obvious stars of the entire movie. Is there anything else that you enjoyed about the movie? What I'm going to say here actually goes for both the films mm-hmm. that we watched. I, I liked the settings, you know, the these mansions that they recorded these films in, which, uh, as far as I could tell, were actually like real houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, real historical buildings Uh, and it just it looked really nice it looked the way you want this kind of uh, an historical piece to look and also the dresses they wore were absolutely beautiful so you know the the scenery and and uh, and the clothes they I thought they looked really nice and it was quite a quite a nice experience to just Mm. (laughs) look at all that stuff and I was like oh that's pretty and that's nice and that yeah yeah Agreed. I think the costumes and scenery and the two actors we've mentioned a couple of times by now, <laughs> they're the best. I think the costumes are, I can't really say for the accuracy. I mean, they look as you would expect them to, but I also think that the styling overall kind of looks good for the time period, I think. Uh, and as I've nurtured an interest for historical <laughs> clothing... <laughs> I've come to realize and I have before too, but now I'm like really getting to be kind of sensitive to how hair and makeup and things like that are treated in historical like costume movies today. And let's say 20 years back and, you know, for from that time, like 90s and forward, uh, it's kind of like lo- loose hair and not really paying any respect to what was considered beautiful and so forth like in the era that the movie is supposed to be set in if you check out uh frock flicks i think it's called it's a blog that's like really diving into this and it's people that are educated like academically educated on the subjects and it's just like if you if you're into that sort of thing it can be quite nerdy but i like it so you know if you (laughs) if you like that i would really check out that blog frock flicks anyways so i think they are doing quite well with that in this movie and also in the other movie that we're going to talk about, the lady, and, <laughs> the lady and the Highwayman is also doing quite a nice job in that, I think, comparing to mm. how it could be and comparing to how it's usually done today. So, you know, there you go. Definitely. How about we move on to the, the Lady and the Highwayman and then we can sort of talk about the more bad things, maybe in both the movies, because <laughs> we will inevitably get into that more as we go into the Lady and the Highwayman, so... <laughs> Yes. Why don't you start us off with the synopsis? <laughs> the synopsis. Well, I have to point out beforehand here that I actually I thought this movie was quite difficult to understand, uh, and the reason for this is that, yeah, that I I don't really know enough about English history, because 
I don't know. I've never had an interest in history and I was never good at it in school. Um, so I actually had to go on Wikipedia to read up on some things before I could understand the film. Uh, but I think I have made sense of it now. This is maybe not going to be the most accurate history lesson here, but I'm going to try and explain things as best as I understand them. In the beginning of this film, we learned that King Charles I is dead and his son, uh, Charles II, who is played by Michael York, uh, has been exiled to France. And in the beginning of this film, he returns to England to see if the people there would be willing to back his return to power. Uh, they are being chased by a group of so-called roundheads, which are parliamentarians instead of royalists. So they are like the, the opposition of Charles II. And King Charles, or... Well, he isn't king at that point, but he sent out one of his men, uh, Lord Lucius Vine, who is played by Hugh Grant, to lead the roundheads astray so that Charles and his men can escape back to France. Uh, Lucius' cousin, Lord Richard Vine, at this point, makes uh, Lucius or ma makes him promise that if anything were to happen to Richard, Lucius would look after his sister Panthea. Uh, which is not at all foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we make a small jump forward in time where we see Panthea is being blackmailed into marriage by a scummy tax collector. Uh, he claims if she marries him, he will save her brother from being executed for treason because her brother has been captured by uh, the roundheads, aka the, the parliamentarians, not the royalists. And uh, she... <laughs> She reluctantly agrees to this, but uh, things do not go so well, and a highwayman called the Silver Blades uh, ends up killing her new husband and tells her that Richard has already been executed and that her husband uh, lied about this. And she's, of course, very upset by this. Uh, then we jump forward in time again to a point in time where King Charles has been restored to power and Panthea is being introduced to court. And for some reason, the king's former mistress gets really jealous of Panthea and starts to scheme against her, which I never understood why, but that, that happens. We'll talk about <laughs> and that. A lot of yeah. More, yeah. <laughs> yes, a lot more intrigue happens. Panthea and Silverblade falls in love after having met like three times in total. Uh, and in the end, they both almost get executed, but the king rides in and saves the day because... When did you know the Silverblade is his trusted friend, Lord Lucius Vine? And Lucius and Panthea marry the end. <laughs> Thank you. It feels great to understand the movie, in, you know, after seeing, <laughs> seeing it. Because as it was going on, I was like, wait, why aren't they doing that? What's going on? Why do they hate each other? I don't get it. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So thank you for that, Inia. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, for me, it was two things that really made things confusing. First of all, it was that I had no idea about this parliamentarians meeting the royalists, you know, mm -hmm. that conflict. And, you know, when we were introduced to King Charles, I was like, oh, okay, so he's the king of England, but they are being hunted by other Englishmen. And I was like, why? Uh, but then it turns out, of course, that he wasn't king mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, and the second reason I think it was very confusing was that these jumps in time that they made in the beginning of the film they never really pointed that out. Yes. Like there was no mm -hmm. four months later or anything like that. You know, it was just like, oh, now we're with Panthea. And I'm guessing some 
time has passed, but I don't know for sure. But, you know, it seems like it anyway. Uh, so that was also very, very confusing. Yeah, the whole king thing and the parliamentarians and that whole thing, it, it kind of... You kind of have to have a basic knowledge of English history, like you say. This era can't be completely unknown to you if you're going into it. Because I was, as, like you say, in the beginning, I think they called him king and everything. And then he's leaving and it's just like, but why? And then you're also asking yourself near near the end when Silverblade is um, being called a traitor and everything. Why doesn't he step forward and say, yo, I'm a bro to the king. Don't kill me. <laughs> Or something like mm -hmm. that. Because the king is around at this time. It's not, not like he's still on the other continent or whatever. Like he's in the country and he could just ask the king to save him. Maybe it's nitpicking, but it kind of makes the, the, the foundation of the movie. <laughs> Isn't very... Yes. I mean, it's not, yes. it's not lying or sitting steady on a nice foundation here. It's just like... Oh. Mm -hmm. The the way I understood it was that, you know, Silverblade, he had been doing illegal stuff. Yes. He had sort of been working for the king and make sure that the king could come back mm. into power. But he had still been doing illegal stuff. And if the king would, you know, take him back as a friend, he would also have to acknowledge this. And as a king, he would have to uh, respond to these illegal stuff yeah. that uh, Lord Lucius had, had Yeah, done. I figured it was something like that. Like, he couldn't really acknowledge uh -huh. him as a friend, like you say, because <laughs> then he'd also say, well, highwaymen are great. <laughs> and he is a <laughs> yeah. king, he can't say that. And he, I don't, I'm sure he doesn't think that as well, because like... <laughs> I, I believe they kind of make a point of that in the film. I don't remember exactly what it is they say, but I think the king says something like, well, I I have to turn a blind eye to some mm, things, you know, uh, something to mm. that nature. So they they kind of explain it, but they explain it poorly, I think. And in the end, it pretty much is that just, you know, the king writes up and it's like, oh, it's my friend. And, you know, I'm going to spare him from being executed. Mm. And I was like, okay, why? <laughs> you did, you did <laughs> still before the king, you know? and now you're fine with it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember why she was accused of being a traitor was that just because of circumstances or uh it was uh the her husband's murder mm. she she was accused of conspiring with the silver blade to murder her husband yes. for money yes. but uh, what really happened was that her mother her, her husband shortly after the the wedding pretty much tried to rape mm. her and the silver blade sort of uh, cut in and, and said no. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, her husband died in a duel yes. um, but, which uh, is funny enough these two movies despite everything else they have in common they also have almost like attempted rape in a carriage in common both of them have True. attempted rapes True. in carriages yes, going because, really fast uh, as well, uh, Lord, Lord uh, Rutham also tried to to rape Lady Serena. Yeah, because there, he kidnaps so, yeah. her. So yeah, <laughs> they have a lot of common these two. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think uh, one of the things that made it not as entertaining or not as good, in my opinion, despite like you know the the, the plot, the having issue with the plot is probably the most. But after that, I just I couldn't get along with. Uh, I think her name is Lucette Anthony in the lead. I just, mm -hmm. I wasn't sold on her, to be honest. No, I thought, I don't, I, I don't know. I think maybe part of the problem was her, that she was not 
the greatest actress in the world. Mm. But I also think part of the problem was she didn't have a lot to work with because um, Panthea didn't really have a lot of personality. Yeah. You know, she was very bland mm. and just uninteresting. And then when we have the court scene where Panthea is being interrogated regarding her husband's murder, she's behaving very immaturely. Mm. And I just... Oh, I didn't really... F- felt that I liked her in any way. No, so no. the the mistress, I don't remember the her name exactly, but the mistress to the king, uh, she mm-hmm. was far more interesting and she had a lot more to do and she had a lot more power to do things as well and she could influence people to do things for her. She was a lot more interesting and fun and uh, like entertaining to watch. Yeah, but let's get into like, why did she bother yeah. to fuck up poor, poor Panthea's life? Yeah. I don't, I have no idea. I believe her, her name was uh, Lady Castlemaine. Castlemaine, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, like we said, she's the king's former mistress. But now the king has married some some European royalty mm. to sort of create alliances and all that. So she should be jealous of the queen. But she's jealous of Panthea because why yeah and i i also feel like mistresses were such a regular thing back then and they and like also their heirs sometimes could like get like like they would get good good places in society or whatever you want to call it like yeah but still you know when when uh, panthea is introduced to the court and lady castlemaine is there people are sort of turning their backs on lady castlemaine Mm, yeah that's true she's not very popular And I'm also thinking the reason she gets jealous of Panthea is because when Panthea is introduced to the queen, they sort of mm, seemingly yes. connect to each other. And, and, and uh, I believe Panthea becomes a lady-in-waiting yeah. to the queen. Um, so that's probably why she's so jealous of Panthea. But I don't know. I still don't feel that she's really motivated enough to do the things she does because she does scheme to... Well, I don't actually know what she schemes to do. Just get rid of her, in general, yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see. Like, did she try to get her married off to someone or not? Because that, I'm guessing, that would be the most obvious route of action <laughs> for someone in that position. I don't think she did. Because that would just be like the easiest thing. Like, get her a good marriage to someone way yeah, I mean, that's, off that... in the country and just be like mm-hmm. done. That's what uh, Lady Justin, or no, Lady Vulcan does in uh, in ha- Hazard of yeah, Hearts. But poorly. You know, she but, tries but yeah, to, she tries to, but yes, poorly. <laughs> she tries to marry off Serena to basically everyone else but yes. her son. <laughs> oh, let's talk about that because I kind of like that scene though. <laughs> Diana Rigg, I'm going to call them by their actor's name just because it's sure, easier for sure. me. But Diana Rigg um, introduces Helena Bonham Carter to the sort of like gambling hall or whatever you want to call it, like in their house. There's mm. a huge party going on and in this room that's it's just men just men gambling at these tables and she's like Diana is the only female in there and she's gambling away her fortune like always so it's like any day for her so anyway Helena Bonham Carter is new to the house and Diana Rigg is like let me introduce you to the company here then she, she um, tells everyone about Helena Bonham Carter's, Carter's um, upcoming fortune if she gets married to someone 
you can see just Helena looking at everyone being completely terrified, like almost like she's being sold to the highest bidder or like being put on display, almost like on a stage, like a prized pig or something. And these men just looking at her and like thinking of the 80,000 they, that they then can gamble away on these tables. And it's just horrifying. <laughs> and it's kind of, I mean, it's it's shot in a sort of cheesy way, but it really works. <laughs> At the same mm-hmm. time, these faces just like reflected in the in on, on screen like uh, like a broken mirror or something. It's I don't know how to explain the effect that's that they're using, but um, I kind of like that one though. Just mm. as a side note, yeah, there definitely getting back to a hazard of hearts to get away from the lady <laughs> of the hi- highwayman. Honestly, <laughs> well, if we are going to get back to lady and highwayman, Lady Castlemaine, the mistress, she's also hanging out with. Um, I don't remember his name, but he is also a cousin to uh, Lucius, mm. and he wants to get rid of Lucius because he wants to inherit, uh, like the family. Mm money and the family houses and things like that uh so they are sort of scheming together to get rid of lucius aka the silver blade uh, and because lucius and, and panthea become friends she sort of gets involved in that uh, scheme in that way mm. uh, but it's still it's still very convoluted and it's still very difficult to understand yes. as it is presented in the film uh, this i don't know i think <clears throat> I think like the basic basic premise of this film isn't that bad, but we would need like a really proper like BBC miniseries, like six episodes where they really get to flesh out the characters, flesh out their motivations and really flesh out the story so that <laughs> first of all you can understand it and second of all it really feel like, you know, point A actually will lead to point B, it's just not sort of yeah. oh, and then this happened, and then this happened and now, now everyone's gonna live happy and we're like, okay, why? How did that happen? I don't know. Yeah, it's too <laughs> short I mean, it could have been like a two hour two, two hour and yeah. ten minutes movie or something if it's going to be like an, a court intrigue movie, then I think you need that time because now things just happened upon each other and then you're like well, wait, uh, what happened before? Um, okay, well, whatever <laughs> <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you're lost, basically. Unless yeah, you're much. looking at the screen 100% of the time with 100% attention. Yeah, and in the end, we're going to talk mm. about the end of Lady and Highwayman. Uh, Lucius and Panthea, like I said, they are almost executed for treason and for uh, Panthea's uh, husband's murder. But the king rides in and, and pardons them. And the reason for this is that... In the beginning of the film, the king gave Lucius a ring, which was like the king's. He, the king had like a matching set of rings, and he gave Lucius yeah a best friend like, ring, you might oh, say. Yeah, kind mm. of like that. And he was like, "Oh, if you need help, you know, send this ring, and I will come for you." Lucius' cousin, who I don't, I completely forgot what his name was, the one who wants his inheritance, uh, he steals this ring from Lucius, and then he goes to see the king before Lucius's execution and says that, oh, well, this man is going to be executed. I'm the next in line for, for uh, this heritage and I want you to sort of sign a paper or whatever. And the king sees the ring that the cousin has stolen and he's like, where did you mm. get that one? Looks fabulous. Then... I want one too. <laughs> oh, I already have one. <gasps> Wait. <laughs> 
and it's just oh, you, oh that that scene I thought was so poorly mm-hmm. made because it pretty much is the king says where did you get this ring the cousin and uh, Lady Castlemaine sort of looks at each other and looks at the ring and then Lady Castle are like oh you idiots and I'm like but you what you could just you can just make something up about how you got this ring. You could have found it on the street or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Or maybe don't wear it. I don't know. <laughs> yes, that too. But well, I mean, at this point, the king has mm. seen it. But the king doesn't... I, at least that was my impression. Mm. Impression That the king the king hadn't yet made the, made the connection that the cousin had got the ring from Lucius, who was the silver blade. Like... like it, it, mm, mm, I don't know. I, yeah. I can't really describe my frustration, but it was just it, there was something missing in that turn of events or in that series of mm-hmm. events. It didn't quite work because, like, this is the very first scene of the movie, so you know that the ring is going to be important for some reason, mm-hmm. uh, and the mm-hmm. way it's used is just like, what? That's it? Wait, what? Okay. Um, <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, we don't see. We don't see this ring for like 90 minutes of the film. And then it's like in the very last five minutes, the king sees it. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to ride and save my mm. friend. And then he does like Deus Ex Machina style. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. no. However, <sighs> as we're talking about these, like the ring and everything, I do encourage anyone listening to this episode, go to YouTube and look up Lady on the Highwayman and just watch the first scene. Because the acting in this very... Like when we're introduced to Hugh Grant and Michael York. The way they're acting and just the lines that they're saying and everything. Like the the four people that are... like They're sitting on horses and being like... Oh, yes, quite good, sir. And now I'm going... Like the way they're... <laughs> it's so obvious that they're hamming it up. And just like signing the, the, the check for the money for this movie, you know? It's... Mm-hmm. The acting is ridiculous and it's quite entertaining for that reason so mm-hmm, <laughs> just watch mm-hmm. that scene from this movie definitely funny and the, the funny thing is I, I knew uh, Hugh Grant would be in this film but I didn't know Michael York would mm. be in it so in is the beginning <laughs> when we when we see the king and he has like a big wig and stuff on it I didn't recognize mm-hmm. it but then he starts talking and I'm like oh my god is that Michael York <laughs> because he has such a distinct voice yeah. and I was like oh yes. and then he's gone uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he's gone. <laughs> yeah. he, he's actually not in the film a lot, but no. I still I still liked him. What did you think of Hugh Grant though? Well, he's Hugh Grant. He ha- he really has like this natural charm mm-hmm. that you just sort of fell, fall in love with. Uh but I didn't actually think he uh, he was a very good actor in this film. He was just <laughs> okay, I think. I mean, he, he was yeah. just being Hugh Granty. <laughs> But like you say, charming and uh, like definitely good looking and hamming it up a bit, (laughs) obviously, like the rest. I think I I don't know when Hugh Grant started um, as an actor in in, uh, feature films, but I got the impression that maybe this was one of his earliest ones because... I kind of felt some parts I thought he did pretty good. Like like you say, he, he's just sort of naturally charming. But some parts, especially the scene where he rescues Panthea from uh, being raped by her mm. husband and the duel he, he has with her husband. I thought the dialogue he had there, first of all, it was a really corny dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't really felt that Hugh Grant 
delivered that dialogue very well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. But like comparing him with um, the the main that like the love interest person guy in uh, A Hazard of Hearts, <laughs> like they're two very different characters. But just like going off mm. on the way they look and how they like how charismatic or like the sort of air that they give off. I can see why Hugh Grant would turn into a star and why the other would like mm-hmm. sort of disappear into obscurity because he doesn't seem to have done a lot, at least anything big mm. after this, to be honest. But you can, mm. say, you, you can kind of tell the star quality to Hugh Grant, even though he isn't like doing his best in it. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, in another <laughs> battle round or whatever you call it in boxing or something, I'm not a sports person, so I don't really know. <laughs> but if we're just looking at like stats, like statistics of these two movies, then A Hazard of Hearts has 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, whereas The Lady mm-hmm. and the Highwayman has 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, and when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, scores there's only audience scores there aren't any like critics score and we have 59% on the hazard of hearts and the lady and the highwayman has 45 what do you think about these are these accurate uh, like if you were to take it the temperature on these two movies would you say that these are kind of accurate depictions of the difference between these two movies yeah comparing the two movies uh to each other, yeah, I would say it's accurate. You know, Hazard of Hearts, I think, is definitely the better film out of the two. But I thought the the scores for both films on IMDb was surprisingly high. Okay. I was expecting maybe maybe a little bit lower. Did you say it was seven? Yeah, seven point two. No, uh, yeah, seven point two for Has- a Hazard of Hearts. I, but I think the voting is like one thousand people or something. So so it isn't like. Yeah, true, I suppose. Um, but I was expecting something a little bit lower than yeah. that, to be honest. Maybe maybe more like, a, I don't know, like like somewhere between four and five for A Lady and a Highwayman and between a five and six for Hazard Hearts, maybe, yeah. in, in, in that. Uh, that. That is where I would vote. Yeah, that's uh, I think. still being a bit generous, to be honest. I think <laughs> Hazard of Hearts, I mean, sure, you could have a... Six maybe, but uh, I I don't know. You're being generous, but at the same time fair because these scores seem a bit high to me as well. <laughs> I think the audience score is a bit more precise. Like the audience score on, on Rotten Tomatoes is a bit more accurate to how we both feel. I think with 59 on A Hazard mm. of Hearts and 45 at The Lady and the Highwayman sounds mm. a bit more accurate. I think so. A Hazard of Hearts wins in that department, and I also think that we like. The brooding man in a Hazard of Hearts more than uh, Hugh Grant. Would you agree? Um, yes. They are very different characters. Mm-hmm. So I don't really feel like. Maybe I. I don't necessarily think it's fair to well, maybe compare. Well, here's them. the thing, Linnea. They're both mm-hmm. stranded in a burning building, and you have to save one of them. So you can't sit here <laughs> arguing if they're different characters or anything. <laughs> one of them. Is gonna die whether or not you like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I did like Hugh Grant. I mean, 
Uh, I think maybe Lord Justin was a better character. Uh, definitely a more well-written character. But, you know, Hugh Grant with his long hair he had in Lady and the Highwayman. He was just a little bit too eye candy, you know, and I like that, so... Yeah, but I think, yeah, as I think of, like, when I'm thinking of it, I, I'm swayed by the way you're talking about Hugh Grant now, because he is much more charming and just better in general. So, uh, yeah, Lady and the Highwayman wins in that. So it's one for one so far. Um, leading ladies, obviously <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter. And oh, the yeah. of Hearts also has a better, like, antagonist or antagonists so wins in that regard as well yes i mean uh, lady vulcan well first of all you know diana riggs does a wonderful job portraying Mm -hmm. her and second of all her motivation was just so much easier to understand first of all she doesn't want her son to marry serena because she thinks uh, she she doesn't think serena is worthy of her son Mm. Uh, and second of all She's doing illegal stuff and she's really greedy and she wants money. And that is just, you know, it's it's a standard motivation you see for a lot of characters. But it's a, it's a kind of motivation you really understand. Yeah. Uh, while for for um, Lady Castlemaine in Lady and the Highwayman, it was just like, okay, oh, now she's doing this. Okay, she's doing that. And, you know, why? What? It was not, not fleshed out mm. enough, uh, like we mentioned. Mm. So... Um, when it comes to scenery and costumes, it's it's a bit muddier in this department, I think, because the houses and everything in A Hazard of Hearts look really good. And a few like outdoors shots are also good. And I think The Lady and the Highwayman, it also has like good like, castle settings and the um, when they're walking around in the garden and everything, like it doesn't look like they're in a cheap studio or anything like that. It looks lush and lived mm-hmm. in, in a way. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to scenery, I think they're like, they're even Stevens or whatever you want to say. Yes, I think, honestly, I think maybe I would give a, a plus for Lady on the Highway Man here because it had more varied mm, scenery. True. You know, Hast of Hearts pretty much just takes place in like one house. So true. And it's yeah. a beautiful house. But it's just one mm. house. Uh, while Lady in the Highwayman, you know, we have several houses. We have several outdoor shots. We have the whole, like, stand they have in the end where they're going to be executed and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, you, you get to sort of see a bit of the 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 town, you know, the peasant part of town and not the, just the, the nobles. So uh, I think I'm going to give a plus there for Lady in the Highwayman, to be honest. Well, you swayed me again. I think so too. I, because I just started remembering like the whole like execution thing. And yeah, it's more varied. There's more happening on screen in that sense. Yeah. But when it comes to costumes, I think The Lady and the Highwayman is better. Um, the 17th century. In movies, when it comes to that era, they don't really do that sort of style on dresses, really. They kind of shy away from that. So I, I think it's kind of cool to watch a movie where they really go for that silhouette of a dress, which mm-hmm. can, to our eyes, can be kind of weird looking. I, I need to, it, some, it kind of looks like polyester at times. Uh, I'm sure they used a lot of polyester <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> but I do applaud them for having the right silhouette and the hair was also looking the way it should, I guess. So... 
I enjoyed that, to be honest. So to, to me, even though it might not be the prettiest dresses compared to Hazard of Hearts, I, I did really enjoy having the correct silhouette on screen. So. Well, I'm not nearly as uh, well-read on historical dresses as you are. Uh, so um, I, like, I like both films in that, in, for, for the dresses and the clothing. So um, if, if you think Lady and Highwaymen were the more interesting in that, in that regard, uh, I can't argue against it. Because what I would, like, just adding to that, there was, there was a lot of actors wearing the right clothes. Uh, as well like mm -hmm. in the lady and the highwayman let's say the garden scene so they're just like walking around and talking there's a lot of people moving about <laughs> in the background mm -hmm. which is uh, not the most common thing i feel like sometimes it can look a bit um empty in these costumes like this period dramas or whatever you call it it can be a bit empty just because maybe they don't they don't have enough of that type of clothes or that <laughs> type of uh <laughs> No, maybe there's too mod too many modern things in the background, and I think they did a good enough job for what I'm guessing is a kind of strict budget. Maybe I don't know. But one other thing I want to point out that th this doesn't have to do with the setting or the dresses, but uh, the music. Oh, has, oh, I'm uh, so happy Lady you bring and it up. Yeah, Man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lady and the Highwayman has a very distinct uh, theme, and it is a like a theme tune I like I thought it was uh, you know nice to listen to but they use it pretty much every time yes. Silver Blade is on screen and it gets really repetitive and I'm like oh no not this piece of music again yes <laughs> both of these moves have and incredibly over-the-top music <laughs> to accompany yes. these and honestly I'm, I'm not entirely sure on this this because I watched uh, I didn't watch the the movies back to back I watched them with a little bit uh, time mm, in same. between but there were a piece of music in Hazard of Hearts, which I thought sounded very similar to something we had heard in Lady and the Highwayman. So I was like, did they reuse a piece of music here? I don't know. But I got sort of... I, I recognized the piece of music and I was like, oh, did, have I heard this before? Well, um, I had the same so feeling, I, so I think they must have because I was like, oh, this <laughs> feels vaguely similar. <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy you say that, that it wasn't just something I no, imagined. So. Either it's because the, the soundtracks are kind of like very similar in tone. So the overall impression kind mm. of makes it feel very, very similar. But I feel like there was a tune in there that was the same. So yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Linnea, given our discussion, I think it's safe to say that the clear winner is a hazard of hearts <laughs> in this versus battle yes <laughs> yes though i was surprised that we actually got we gave uh some good points to a lady and highwaymen too um uh, there were a couple of categories yeah. there at least where we uh, liked that one but yeah i think uh overall the hazard of hearts is definitely the most the, the better film yeah. out of the two so would you recommend watching it though like we haven't really said anything on that would you recommend watching a hazard of hearts i don't think any of us recommends a lady of the, the lady and the highwayman but would you recommend uh, the winner mm, i mean it does have helen and bottom carter in it so i mean that is a pretty good reason to watch it but just looking at like these historical historical romances or just historical 
films in general. I think there are much better ones out there. So probably not my first choice uh, for that mm. uh, that category. But um, I've I've seen worse. I mean, Lady and Highwayman was the worst <laughs> film. So you you will get some uh, enjoyment mm. out of A Hazard of Hearts. I think. I think if you if you feel like you've seen everything when it comes to period romance dramas or whatever and you really like Helena Bonham Carter then why not give it a shot it's on YouTube for free right now so press play and see if you like it if you don't then you haven't really lost anything either so uh, maybe give it a go if you feel like it's your thing Uh, if not then you're not really missing out either that's probably how I'd put it (laughs) Mm. but uh, I think we'll uh, get on with Bang Bon Blast this is, of course, our version of Fuck, Mary Kill in that order. The contestants for this <coughs> amazing game is Helena Bonham Carter as Serena, Hugh Grant as Silverblade, and Michael York as King Charles II. Now I'm very excited to hear <laughs> your <laughs> pick, <laughs> because I just can't figure out how you're going to <laughs> decide. <laughs> I- Honestly, I think this uh, this is a pretty uh, good selection here because I did like all three mm. of them uh, in some way. But for this category, you know, Bang Bomb Blast is just sort of theme. I I am afraid I'm gonna have to blast Michael York. Mm. I I do like him, and honestly, I think he has a very sexy voice. But compared to Hugh Grant and Helena Bonham Carter, mm. I think he's gonna be the one to go there uh, and then I would bang Silverblade Hugh Grant just because of the long hair and you know he was just really mm. pretty and then I'm gonna bond Helena Bonham Carter because honestly she's Helena Bonham Carter so yes. you know there's no competition there really and you know it's kind of tricky <laughs> because all of these people are either going to have a lot of money or have a lot of money I'm gonna bang Helena Bonham Carter I'm gonna bond with Hugh Grant and then I'm gonna blast Michael York that was basically oh, the same thing George. as you did, right? I think so. Uh, no, you, yeah, yeah. I, you, you, I, I bonded Helena Bonham Carter and you yeah. banged her, but you know, yeah. whatever. Poor Michael York, <laughs> though. I feel like he—he he was a nice character <laughs> and he was a king. I really don't feel like he deserved this at all. Sorry, sorry, no. King Charles the no. Second. Uh, so, listener, have you seen either a Lady and Highwayman or a Hazard of Hearts? Uh, we want to know what you think, so go to our Facebook page, Starcrashed Podcast, uh, where you can share your thoughts and also give us recommendations for future episodes. And uh, this was our first sort of versus episode. And if you uh, want to hear more of these, uh, give us feedback and also give us recommendations for uh, good films that we could pitch against each other. Uh, so you can do that on our Facebook page, as I said. Uh, and join us again in two weeks as we sit down and talk about. Uh, the Princess Bride. Bye. Bye.